The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. This is Wheel Bearings. I'm Dan Roth. And I'm Sam Abu Al Samad. So here we are in the post CES, post NIAS, um, after post Utah. Post Utah. Yeah. Can you talk about that? Uh, I can say that I was in Utah for a few days uh, last week to drive the Honda Passport. And you'll have to wait till next week to to hear what I think about it. Okay. We but have but I can say stuff. this, that, you know, the, the landscape in Utah is absolutely unreal. Is I mean, it your first time in Utah? Yeah. It's the first time I've been out there. I've, I've flown over that, that region countless times because uh, the flight path between LAX and Detroit Metro Airport goes directly over like pretty much over that the area where I was. Um, and so it was, it was amazing to see it from ground level or, or, you know, in some cases, you know, from like 2000 feet up looking down into a Canyon. Yeah. Yeah. It's impressive landscape out there. And I've, unfortunately you didn't get to try the skiing, but from what I hear, it's really, really good. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, right in the area where we were around Moab, they don't actually have a whole lot of snow. It's kind of a desert region. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, not that far away. There's some pretty amazing skiing, you know, Park City and, and other places. Um, so, that, yeah, there was it was interesting stuff. And we'll, we'll talk more about uh, the passport next week. Yeah. I mean, in the meantime, we've got lots of stuff we can actually offer our opinions on this week. Uh, and that includes what we've been driving. So, uh, Sam, you've been in a, a couple of different, a couple of different cars, one big, one small. <laughs> so or why smaller. don't you start us off? Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it was my turn to get into uh, the new Kia Forte EX. And, uh, you know, I, I largely concur with uh, most of what you said a few weeks ago when, when you had a chance to drive it, you know, I, I've been, I've grown quite fond of Kia and Hyundai models over the last several years and particularly the Kias, you know, I, I really like the way this Forte EX looks. Um, I'd, I'd like to see Kia do um, a hat, another hatchback version of this Forte, like they did with the last generation with the Forte five. Um, I don't know if they will um, just because, you know, for whatever silly reasons, Americans don't seem to want to buy that form factor. Um, but the, you know, it's, it's a, it's a really good car overall. Um, you know, 
I would like to see, you know, uh, a, l- a little more powerful engine available in it. You know, as we talked about last time, it's just the the 1.4 liter naturally aspirated engine in there right now, um, which is, you know, it's adequate. Um, you know, I think most people that are going to be interested in a car in this segment will probably be more than satisfied with the with the performance you get from it. Um, I, was, I felt like it was a half liter bigger almost. It almost felt like yeah. more like a 1.8. So I was impressed yeah, with that. Yeah, yeah, it, it did. It did feel stronger than a than you would expect a naturally aspirated 1.4 to feel. Um, you know, I you know I'd like to see you know maybe a 1.6 or you know a 1.4 turbo something like that. You know, with maybe 160, 170 horsepower. Um, I think that would be a, a great pairing, uh, with this thing, you know, cause it's got, a, it's got a good platform, good chassis, really nice interior, you know, for what is, you know, effectively a, a, you know, close to entry level car. Uh, you know, the EX is the top trim level, you know, so this one was about 25 grand, but it was really well equipped with sunroof and all the driver assist stuff and everything else. Um, so yeah, I, I you know, I liked it a lot. It's interesting. I was reading through Car and Driver, uh, the latest issue where they do the 10 best. And I think their take on the Forte was that it it uh, actually it's a cheap car that looks cheaper than it is or feels. And maybe I'm wrong. There was another Kia that they bashed that way. But I was like, well, that didn't match up with my experience. And I wonder if it's just that the EX trim, which is what we've both driven now, is nicer than uh, you know a lot nicer than some of the other lower trims because key is very good at that yeah um i i agree i I think that you know it's you know it it does feel you know at least in the ex trim it feels like more car than you would expect at that price point um you know i guess the the one the one other thing that i might uh that, that that did strike me when I was driving it is it does feel like they maybe um, reduce the amount of sound insulation a little bit because on the highway in particular, it did feel like there was a little more road noise coming through than I recall. I mean, it's been I don't know, probably two or three years since I drove the last uh, previous generation Forte. Um, but, it, you know, it felt like there was maybe a little more noise coming through. Uh, particularly, you know, like around the greenhouse, you know, like some, I think maybe the, they made the glass a little thinner, um, you know, and maybe, you know, didn't use acoustic glass like you would find on uh, some higher level cars. Um, but it wasn't, a, you know, it wasn't terrible. It wasn't objectionable. Uh, it just seemed like, I guess, compared to, you know, some of the more premium stuff I've been driving lately, it did seem um, like there was, you know, a little more uh, of the outside world intruding. And what kind of um, fuel economy are you getting? Uh, I got about uh, 33, 34 miles per gallon. That's not too bad. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, again, considering, you know, this is not a hybrid or anything. It's just, you know, just a basic, uh, basic vehicle. It, it was, it was great. I was, you know, I was very impressed with it. And I think, you know, the, you know, I think for somebody, you know, that's looking to maybe buy a new car for the very first time, you know, I think the, uh, the Rio that I drove last month, you know, was probably, you know, even in a little better choice. It's a little bit smaller. It's certainly cheaper oh, uh, maybe or more, it's more affordable. Rio that I was thinking that car and driver bashed. That that could be. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, the, the Rio definitely. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> but, you know, I mean, the Rio cost, you know, the one I drove was, I think, like just over 19 grand. Right. You know, so it's it's a you know much more affordable car. It's one of the few cars you can get anymore for under twenty thousand dollars new. So, you know, I think. To, you know, it, when you look at it in that context of what it costs, 
you know, what the real cost, I, I think that it, you know, you're getting a great value for, for your money on that one. Um, you know, and this one, you know, is a little more expensive. It's a little bit bigger, feels a little more premium. Um, you know, and I think if it just had, you know, just a touch more power and, you know, maybe just a, a touch thicker glass to, uh, you know, to, to drown out some of the, uh, the exterior sound, I, I think people would really love it. Or just, you know, that car and a set of those foamier plugs. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, just turn up the stereo. <laughs> yeah, there, there you go. And then eventually you'll blow away your hearing, so you won't have any problem <laughs> anyway. <laughs> All right. So um, the other car you had was the uh, 2019 Toyota Avalon. So, yeah. And, you know, I've I've driven many Avalons over the years. I think the, the first time I ever drove an Avalon was back in the, the mid 90s. And I think that was probably the second generation uh, went after they went to the Avalon nameplate, uh, you know, prior to that, I think, uh, let's see, what did they, they, they had some other branding on their, their biggest Toyota had some other branding on their biggest sedan, but back in the mid nineties, uh, I don't know if you remember like the second gen Avalon, it had very upright sides, you know, the, yes. the greenhouse, you know, it looked, when you look at it from straight ahead or straight behind, it almost looked, you know, square. It was quite it, a Buick. It, it was, it was, it even out Buicked most Buicks. Yeah. Um, it was, you know, it was not a graceful looking car. But it was um, an outstanding car. For, oh, yeah. Like, I mean, it, it, its mission. Yeah. I mean, it, it was, you know, based on the Camry platform. You know, it was dead reliable. Um, you know, it was thoroughly unexciting, but, it, you know, it was, you know, it did everything you expected a Toyota sedan to do, which so, was to run forever right. with minimal, uh, minimal intervention, you know, aside from some oil changes and filters. So many old men with hats drove those they were yeah. always like that light bluish green and they were always doing like 10 under the limit in front of me when in the I left places lane. to go yeah <laughs> so <laughs> i remember that vividly <laughs> the, the the new avalon that debuted last year um you know is very much unlike that uh yes. in in many respects uh and like I think let's put uh, let's see from the side, you know, from the profile view or from a rear three quarter view, I think it's really, really attractive. Um, you know, I think it's a very good looking sedan from the front. Um, I think it suffers from the same disease that a lot of uh, recent generation Toyotas do in that, you know, it's got too much grill and it's maybe a bit overstyled in the front um, yeah. or maybe a lot overstyled. Uh, it does have a, a tremendous amount of grill. Um, and I think, you know, maybe toning that down a, a little bit would not hurt. Um, but once you get inside it and, you know, and drive it, you know, it it's, you know, it's on the latest uh, TNGA platform. It's I think it's the biggest iteration yet of the TNGA. Um, you know, it had uh, it's got the three Toyota 3.5 liter V6 in there uh, with about I think about 280 horsepower or so. Um, it's, you know, it's an outstanding full-size sedan, you know. Right, and, I was going to say, it's and it dry, hard to dislike anything about that. Yeah, you know, you know and it, it, you know, like, you know, like the Camry and, and even, you know, the latest generation Prius, you know, it actually drives really well. It's got, you know, good, good balance, good, uh, you know, decent feel to it, um, you know, good performance. The, um, the infotainment system is much better than what we've had in Toyotas in recent years. Um, it's, you know, still lacking in some stuff. It does now finally have uh, Apple CarPlay support. 
um, and uh, where it is that it will eventually get uh, Android Auto support, although for for whatever reason they have not yet implemented that. Um, you know, so you know it's it's just a, a really good big sedan if that's what you're interested in. Yeah, I mean, so the last couple generations of Avalon have really. For me, they've filled the void left by Oldsmobile. You know, they feel like a really nice Cutlass used to in that in that sense. Like they're just they're stylish. They're they hint at being sporty or they say, like, we wanted you to think this was sporty um, without actually really being terribly. So, I mean, they're fine. They don't embarrass themselves. Yeah, I mean, but- the previous generations, you know, the, um, you know, they especially the last generation, you know, kind of had the design going in the right direction. Yeah. Uh, you know, the the chassis was still a bit too soft and you know um uninspired you know and they they really fixed that with the new one yeah uh and i think like all of that together it's really come into its own as sort of like a it is just an uber camry in that sense it's just it does the things the camry does it looks now it looks very much like the camry it's it's like it's it's like the big gulp camry um but especially the grill you know it it definitely looks like it's gulping air (laughs) That's for sure. And it's weird because you'd think that that would be like an aerodynamic problem uh, versus some smoother bodywork. Well, it would be if, if most of it wasn't you know blocked off and there's no actual airflow through there. Yeah. That's, so, I mean, that's mo- most of what's there is there purely for uh, aesthetic reasons for for good or ill. Yeah, it's the unesthetic aesthetics for sure. Uh, so what did you think of the controls inside? Because it's got this like it has that screen up up high, but it's not it's not as tacked on as we've seen in other cars. It's this other element where this the HVAC controls are there, too. So it's almost, you know, it's integrated a little bit better in some ways. Um, and it looks like it's got physical controls for the HVAC underneath. Um what did you think of all the control schemes? Cause that's one of the things that I still have some trouble with in some Toyotas is like, it's not quite as clear as like, we were just talking about like Kia or Hyundai, you know, the controls in this look like they're pretty good, but I'm, I'm sure there's some good, some bad. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's, there's a lot of buttons there, um, you know, and they're for, you know, you, you do have, you know, rotary control knobs for volume and tuning for the audio. Uh, there's a, a row of buttons across the, the bottom there, just above the shifter, um, you know, for the various climate stuff, you know, your defoggers and seat heaters and things like that, that are, you know, kind of undistinguished from each other. So you do have to kind of look at it to figure out which one it is you want. Um, but, you know, aside from that, you know, it, it basically, you know, it works pretty well. Uh, I didn't have any major complaints about it. You know, most, you know, a lot of the stuff that the most important stuff is, you know, right on the steering wheel stocks, you know, your cruise control and, and your audio controls are right there on the, or on the steering wheel spokes. I mean, uh, they're all right there. You know, it was definitely nice to have, you know, heated seats and heated steering wheel, uh, you know, when we had some, some cold weather uh, last week. So, you know, I, I can't really complain too much about it. Um, I think, um, you know, there, there's a there's a, a little storage area just below the center stack ahead of the shifter. That's a little awkward to get stuff in and out of. I mean, you know, it's good. You know, in theory, it's a good place to to stick your phone. Um, but, it you know, it doesn't, it, you know, the kind of the openings on the side and to the to the right of this of the shift lever are kind of 
a little bit awkwardly placed. Uh, and the way the cup holder is, you know, you've got two cup holders immediately to the right of the shift lever. Yeah. And so if you have a big coffee cup in, in those cup holders, you know, kind of access to that storage area, you know, becomes even more um, awkward. <laughs> Let's just leave it at that. Uh, so, yeah, it's, you know, aside, you know, but I mean, those are, I guess those, those are the kinds of things that, you know, if you have to live with the car, um, they, they might get annoying after a while uh, that, you know, there is a large uh, center console bin, you know, under the armrest. Um, you know, so there's plenty of storage space there. So I guess most, most likely if, if I was um, driving this car on a daily basis for, you know, years on end, I probably wouldn't use that storage area in the front, you know, in the front underneath the center stack very much just because it's, it's not very well placed to get stuff in and out of. But, um, you know, everything else about it generally works fine. Yeah. Well, and I wonder if that's is there as a storage unit, like storage area, but it's also there to look open and make it feel less. Yeah, I, I think it's I think it's more for that than anything else. Um, you know, and, you know, this is a trend, you know, we've seen in, in recent years. Um, usually, you know, very often, you know, what you'll find as uh, manufacturers have gone away from mechanical shift levers for the, for the, uh, for the transmission, which this still has, it still has a mechanical shifter as they've moved toward, at least on the non-hybrid versions, as they've moved towards electronic shifters, you know, whether it's rotary shift knobs or push buttons, what they've tended to do is that console has had more of an upward sweep there. And you actually have that storage area underneath, uh, that's accessible only from the sides, you know, from either the driver or passenger side. And that, that's actually that can actually works out fairly well. You know, like if you're going to store a, a purse or a small bag under there, you can usually stick that under there. That works fine. Um, you know, one thing that, you know, um, that the Avalon doesn't have in that storage area in the front, there, there's no uh, USB ports up there. And um, the one I had did not have uh, didn't even have a wireless charging pad for um uh, for a phone, you know, if you've got a phone that supports oh, that Qi wireless was, charging. The Avalon was, I think, like the first Toyota to offer that, too. Back, So I'm surprised it doesn't yeah, have Yeah, the one the one I had didn't have it. Um, you know, I'm not sh- I'm not sure if it's a, a standalone option uh, on on other trim levels. The one I had was a Touring and, I, you know, it, it didn't have that feature there. It isn't Touring like, well, I mean, I, maybe it's not the There's top the, trim, but yeah, the like- limited is the top trim level. Yeah. I mean, that seems like a, a feature. Everybody has their device. You should figure out how to make it easy to charge. Yeah. You know, I like the cars now that have the, you know, some of them have a white outline or just they'll tell you what the high, high. Yeah, it's usually, usually. Uh, um, oh, yeah. Well, the USB ports are actually yeah. in the, the center console, like the bin that's underneath the armrest. Yeah. And that, that's so I not think what they're always trying handy. To, yeah. Well, I think what they're trying to encourage there is, you know, put the put you know plug plug your phone in and stick it in there so it's you don't want it to be handy right? i have resisted every opportunity for other people to encourage me to do the right thing throughout my entire <laughs> life a damn car is not going to do it now <laughs> i generally stash the phone in the cup holder and i find that if there's usb ports in the console it, it you know underneath there uh like in front of the shifter that to me seems better than having to open the armrest and then run the wire and have it futz around the cable. Maybe that's just me. 
Yeah, I mean, usually, you know, if there's USB ports, you know, right at the front of the console there, you know, in that space ahead of the shifter, I'll usually have a short USB cable. You know, when I get in the car, I'll just plug it in there. So it's not it's not really, you know, amenable to to picking up the phone that way. You know, so it's charging and it's connected. And, you know, if I'm using Android Auto, you know, it it's working that way. Um, you know, and that way the, the cable is not dangling around either. Um, you know, in this particular one, because the uh, because the USB ports are inside that bin under the armrest, uh, you know, I had the cable running out of there. And, and as you said, the phone sitting in the cup holder instead. Yeah. Well, you know, that's the as we continue to carry these devices with us and they, you know, fashion now as they continue to get larger, too. So automakers are having to contend with that and we'll see their there are different uh, solutions for it. Um, I guess the last thing I'm curious about is that, again, that bin up in front there, it looks like there's a, a very thick plastic bezel around the whole thing. Um, what's the what are the materials like? Is that going to just look the, crappy or does it look? Cheap no, the, 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 the materials are good. Um, you know, it, it's a it looks like you know, it's a very high quality plastic. Uh, there. So you're talking about the the storage area ahead of the shifter. Yeah, there's just like yeah. you see how it comes. Basically, it's the trim that actually comes down and is the surround all the way back to the armrest. Right, it goes around the yeah. shifter and everything. Yeah. No, I mean it, it's a it's a high quality matte plastic uh, material. You know, it doesn't it doesn't look cheap. Um, you know, and you know it's not it's not the kind of overly glossy thing that I think won't won't necessarily age well. Um, you know, I, I think it'll, it'll be fine, you know, five or 10 years, you know, uh, of use. I think it'll probably look fine. It'll be easy to clean, um, you know, but still look, you know, rel- you know, it, I think it fits in with the rest of the interior, you know, with the, with the leathers and the wood trim that's in there as well. Yeah. Cause that has been a challenge in, uh, Toyota's, uh, more, more so a few years ago, but there was, there was one or two generations of the camera where you just got in here, like. What happened? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, it, it doesn't. It doesn't look like it's been cost reduced. You know, it, it, it looks like, you know, they've picked a material that should hold up well, you know, that doesn't look cheap now and, and should hold up well over the life of the car. And also in Toyota's defense, it looks like if you have wireless charging, the phone will tuck in front of the shifter. That's that's where the wireless charging pad goes, I guess. Right. The, the, the one I had didn't didn't seem to have that there. OK. So I guess the key is just just buy the wireless charger. Yeah. <laughs> and all of our complaints go away. Um all right. Well, I I had a good opportunity to sample uh what you can get for $50,000. There's a very interesting couple of weeks. Um uh, a couple of weeks ago they dropped off a 2019 uh Dodge Challenger RT with the scat pack and the wide body appearance kit and um, ZR so rated got the, tires. Got, got kind of the demon look without uh, without the demon engine. Yeah, but it still has the uh, big Hemi. It had the 6.4 liter, which okay. is 485 horsepower, 485 pound feet of torque. That's a lot. So it's basically <laughs> like driving a Hellcat with the black key instead of the red key. Yeah, it's plenty of power and it's gorgeous. It was a gorgeous green. Um, I I really, really like the Challenger. It's, you know, it's a stylish car still. It's it's definitely distinctive. Um, and it says something about the driver. 
uh, whether or not you agree with that, what that statement, <laughs> um, it it makes it. Uh, it sounds fantastic. You know, it just has that that V eight bark and rumble. Um, yeah. It's so, so are you drive. saying that this is the kind of car that um, might hint that the that the owner or driver uh, is a is a middle aged guy uh, with a decent income and some some insecurities about his masculinity? Either yeah, that or uh, one of my coworkers saw me pull in with it in the morning. He was like, "Well, that's a car for a guy who pulls out." <laughs> I was just like, oh. "Jesus!" <laughs> uh, okay, uh, I suppose <laughs> it seems more like a car for a grandpa. Um, yeah, because those are the guys that remember um, the original Challengers, right? Cars like that, and really, like it's a fantastic car. I love the Challenger. I don't care how old it is. Uh, the biggest issue I had with it, and, was, and amazingly, it's actually gotten better with age. Oh, it keep, it's yeah. Well, I mean, it, they're at this point now where all the development has long been paid off for that car. So it's just like, well, okay, what can we do with it? <laughs> you know, and um, they keep making it. You know, different different versions, and that's that's really the only thing that's going to sell Challengers now. Is like, well, this one this year it has the new color, right? Uh, and it's been around for what? Since 2000, when did the first Nine? one come out? 10? 9? Uh, maybe it was 7. I think it was 2007 or 8. It was, before, really? it was just before the recession. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's been around for a long time. And there's there's nothing wrong with it, though. It drives really well. I, I love the, the close-coupled feel of it. Um, so this, But the scat pack and, and the way this car was configured is really quite a commitment. Um, it's, it, it, this is not an everyday car. I mean, you can, you can use it that way, but it's, it's really designed. Like this is the car that you drive to the track on, on the nights you can go drag racing and you drag race with it. It, it can do, um, uh, you know, it's set up with, it had ZR tires on it and the suspension was set up for, you know, basically it, it, it handled pretty well, except for the temperatures were low. So ZR rated tires under 40 degrees. Not, not a, a good really combination. To, yeah, no, they get really, really greasy. Um, they just don't have any traction. Uh, but y- you can you can take this car and, and go to your motorsports thing and come back with it. And it had a rear seat delete. So <laughs> so I couldn't take anybody in it. <laughs> um, but, it, it you know, I'm I'm enthusiastic that Chrysler offers this. Uh, because it really like it is a particular car for a particular buyer and it's great that it exists. Um, and you know, I like the close coupled challenger cockpit. It's a good GT. This is not, this is not a GT kind of challenger. Like leave the scat pack and the, the wide body kit off uh, or get the challenger GT itself. That's a better sort of grand tourer. This car is a lot more purposeful. Um, but it's it's fantastic and it's so much performance for fifty thousand dollars. I was astounded when I priced it out. I was like, this that's that's got to be a mistake. It's, it can't be that cheap because uh, it's it's quick and it, it's got big. Brakes. Remember when fifty thousand dollars seemed like a lot of money? Yeah, yeah. I mean, we were just talking about you know starter cars that were twenty five thousand dollars, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, uh, yeah. It it snowed while I had it and. So I had I left it parked. So I spent a bunch of time actually reviewing the 2006 uh, Hyundai Sonata <laughs> <laughs> um, because I borrowed that from my mother-in-law because the Crown Victoria 
last time I drove that, last couple times I drove that, um, getting a grinding out of the rear brakes when I use them. So that says to me that it's pads and rotor time. Yep. <laughs> um, and I didn't want to push my luck because I've probably done about 120 miles on it doing that. <laughs> I was like, I, I should not do that anymore. Um, so now I have boxes of uh, pads and rotors sitting down in the living room ready to swap on. I just have to find the time to do it now. Uh, but yeah, I, I thought, uh, the fleet guy was actually going to get stuck with it because there was still some snow and ice and it's just like, man, this car, it's a handful in a good way, uh, when it's dry and the temperatures are good, you know, it's, it's mm-hmm. a car that commands some respect and, and that I find that very entertaining. We've talked about that. I like cars that are a little bit evil. Uh, but it, it felt to me like I was like, I should not be out in these conditions with this car. <laughs> Like, this is just straight up irresponsible of me. Um, and so I, I parked it as much as I could while the weather was actually bad. Um, so you just have to bear that in mind. I think it would have been a lot more docile on winter tires, but even so, it's got a lot of power. And there's no winter mode in the transmission. But um, I'm very pleased that I got to spend time with it because I just it just every time I drive a Challenger, I just I really enjoy it because it's just, just that kind of car, you know? Yeah, no, I, I, I hear you. I, I agree. And for, for what it's worth, the, uh, the, the modern challenger came out in 2008 as a 2009 model. Wow. 10 years already. Yeah. <laughs> and they restyled it. They, they, what was it? 2015. Yeah. I mean, they've tweaked it a few times, uh, yeah. over the years, you know, they, they redid the taillights. They, uh, updated the, the grill a bit, you know, the, the V8 versions, have, you know, the inboard headlamps, you know, are now, you know, have open centers, you know, for air intakes there um, to, yeah. you know, to feed the big Hemis. Uh, I don't know if the one you had, or at least on the, the higher power ones, certainly on the all the Hellcats they do. I think on the, on the SRTs, you know, the, the, uh, all the, uh, the 6.4 liter Hemi versions, I think have that as well. Um, Yeah. This one wasn't quite an SRT. So, uh, it, I think it just had regular luck and lights. I mean, it just, it looks fantastic. I, I, li- I really liked coming home to it, <laughs> like sitting in the driveway. I was like, that is a good looking car. Um, and you know, it's, it's the challenger thing. It has, yeah, it's, I mean, it's, 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 it's a design that is held up remarkably well. It, it has aged very well. You know, it, when it came out, you know, it was clearly, you know, a throwback to the original, you know, 1970 challenger in a lot of ways. But, you know, it wasn't so retro that it that, it you know, that it looks out of place then or, you know, now 10 years later. Yeah, I I've, I really this this is a car that has a lot of charm and all of the things that are good about it are still good about it. You know, the seats are comfortable. Um, the controls are fairly easy to use. Uh, it, it's easy to drive. It, you know, visibility is a little bit low. You're going to get that. I mean, it's still better, it's better than, than a Camaro. Camaro. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it has a decent of, trunk. It has, a of course, decent... you know, sitting, sitting in a refrigerator box has better visibility than a Camaro, but right. Yeah. You can see out of the, like the handles in the side. <laughs> um, it, when you don't pay a dollar to get rid of the rear seat, uh, you can hold, you know, humans in it. So, you know, the, the, the challenger continues to, to be charming. I do wish they made a version of the GT with a V8. That would be, I, I think, my favorite configuration, but they don't make decisions based on what I like. So that's, that's fine. Uh, and then this week I'm still driving the 2019 Volvo S 60. So 
the first. Now that's one I'm interested to hear your your opinions on. Yes, yeah. that's, that's quite new. Um, so first of all, actually, when when we talked about the XC40 uh, a couple of weeks ago, now I got curious enough to actually call our friend at Volvo, and uh, he answered some questions for me. And so, yes, uh, Census feels snappier because they have increased the processor speed across all models. Um, so we we were correct yay for us <laughs> so we weren't just imagining it no um that it wasn't has... it wasn't just a case of stockholm syndrome with the uh, <laughs> with the infotainment system very nice nicely done <laughs> even uh, though volvo is on the other side of the country but yeah uh, no uh, oh that's right they're not they're, they're in gothenburg, gothenburg. Yeah. yeah um it, whatever it's sweden yeah. it's not that big of a country it's like what the size of virginia yeah, or something? actually you'd be surprised how big it is Oh, it goes all the way up to the Arctic Circle. Yeah, too. I mean, it's it, yeah, it's it's actually pretty large. The inhabited yeah, I, I, part isn't maybe. <laughs> that's true. Yes, the the part that has most of the human population is relatively small. Yeah, um, there's there's, pl- there's plenty of reindeer in the north, though. That's that. Yeah, and and cold weather testing. Yeah. Um. So yes, the processor has been updated uh, for for better response, and and so that's noticeable, and it's noticeable here in the S sixty as well. The other thing he told me, which made me laugh, was that the most of the complaints about the ergonomics and census he gets from journalists. The people who buy the cars don't complain about it because they they get used to it. And I was like, okay, that's that's fair. And so you know, I wanted to make sure for those that, of us that only drive them for a week at a time, you know, once every few months or every six months or so. We're, we're the ones that whine about it. Right. And that's I think that's a valid thing to consider is some of the stuff that we complain about is because we've got to very, very quickly familiarize ourselves with the controls in a car and then evaluate whether they're better or worse during that short period than the car we just came out of, which is going to be the first thing we remember. And then other cars that we like that have left an impression. So, 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 what, so what you're saying is that the customers are suffering from Stockholm syndrome. <laughs> I think the customers uh, acclimate over a period of time, which it sounds like Stockholm syndrome, right? But um, and I have found that over the last two Volvo loans, like having more time with census, it it does. You do get a little bit more used to it. It's still not my favorite, but I think me personally, with my aversion to automatic stuff. If I let that go and let, you know, let the car do the thing that the car was designed for, because Europeans really love automatic stuff. Uh, <laughs> they're like, set it and forget it. They like that. I I am a control freak, so I don't. Uh, but if I let it do that, you know, if I set it at 68 degrees and just say, do, do your thing, um, it, it's a lot more enjoyable. And so anyway. Uh, the- look, uh, just out of curiosity, uh, you know, earlier this week, um Volvo released uh, a preview of the new HMI for the Polestar 2, which is going to be their first battery electric car that's coming out next year. Oh, I haven't seen and that. And it's also their first model that's going to have their new infotainment system that is actually built on Android Automotive. And they've, they've <laughs> actually significantly revised the user interface. And um you can uh, you can find you can find it and download it uh, um, you know on an app or on uh, on a smartphone as um, as a progressive web app so it's not a native app but you can you can kind of play around in there and see what the interface is going to look like have you had a chance to look at it yet I haven't no okay um, I'll we'll, I'll put a link to it in the the show notes 
but uh, you know, it's it's worth taking a look at, and you can get an idea of what the UI is going to look like. It's actually quite significantly different from Census today. I mean, when they when they first announced it last year, they they indicated that it was basically going to be the Census interface but with new underpinnings on it, but it's actually changed pretty substantially. And I don't know if this is just going to be, this version is just going to be for the Polestar models and maybe the Volvo branded cars will retain the existing census style interface with the three pages where you swipe left to right. Um, Cause th this one is actually, you know, rather than swiping left to right, you actually sweep down from the top and up from the bottom to get different pages. Um, and it's, it's, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll include the link in the show notes and maybe uh, between now and next week, Dan, you can have a chance to uh, to try it out and we can talk about it further. Yeah, I'm actually looking at it right now just in a in a post on Pop of the Mechanics and it it so it looks like it it has evolved some of the some of the controls. It does look like there's um, you know, different organization. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I'll play with it. I'll, I'll see what I can see what I can discern. Um, you know, that's the tricky part for an automaker. I mean, you, you spent time, uh, at automakers. So, you know, these things are developed years out and they have to last for years as well. So that's, that's really tough for them. And, uh, while they're well, at for, it, fortunately, you know, fortunately we're, we're getting into an era now, you know, where you can do over the air updates, you know, and they've actually been doing, you know, most automakers have been actually doing over the air updates for their, their telematics and infotainment systems. Now for quite some time, they just haven't, unlike Tesla, they haven't been doing it for safety critical systems, um, <laughs> or at least for control systems, vehicle control systems have been doing it for, you know, for the infotainment and telematics for, for quite a while. Um, so, you know, this is something that actually can evolve. Yeah. And as Tesla has shown, you know, you can, you can change the interface pretty dramatically uh, over time with those sorts of updates. So yeah. whatever you build in, you know, at the start is not necessarily what needs to be there at the car's end of life or throughout its life cycle. Right. It's kind of dependent on what the hardware will run too. you know, yeah. so that's, you've got a lot of choices to make um, from just the actual hardware that it's running to, um, the, the actual layout of the interface and then, okay. So if you're going to do a wholesale update of that system, right. That yeah, it'll run on every single version of that model ever built. But if it's a very different change, now you've got all those existing users. Are you going to alienate them? Are you going to wind up with them complaining at you or, or like, well, and that's, that's one of the issues that Tesla has had, you know, as they have made changes in some cases, customers have complained quite loudly about those changes. Yeah. And I'm sure it's not a trivial thing to back rev. I'm sure no. they, won't, they won't let you do that. Um, and they don't, they don't usually don't even give you the option of rejecting, you know, previewing <laughs> and then rejecting uh, an update. You know, once they, once you, once they push out an update, you're basically stuck with it. Yeah, seems like uh, another reason to just stick with an old analog car. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, the this is the first U.S. built Volvo, the S60, and it's it's yeah. fantastic. I honestly. Oh, yeah, you were driving a car. That's right. Yeah, I was Not just an infotainment system. I was shocked um, by how good this car is, not because Volvos aren't good and, and nice, but it's the first one dynamically um, that over the last, I don't know, three or four years, they've all been pretty decent, but this is the first one that really brings it all together. And it's just, it has uh sort of silky moves about it. It just dynamically transition transitions very nicely. Like when you're, when you're doing S curves or something, it, it, it has, you know, a nice 
sort of supple ride to it. It handles well. It's this is a T6, so it's it's powerful enough. It could, I mean, you know, could always use a little bit more power. And there's going to be a T8 version uh, that will give you that. But uh, you know, this is just a very good car. I just I'm I'm very impressed with it. I love the way it looks. Uh, I especially love the interior style. I think they've they've hit on a an identity. I just I hope it's not too late. <laughs> um, <laughs> but they've they've hit on an identity both inside and out that updates Volvo past uh, the last time they really updated their look back in, you know, the, the late 90s, <clears throat> early 2000s, when, when when I think it was Peter Horbury, right? When, when they mm-hmm. did the, the first S80 and and then all the P2 cars and everything, everything had that sort of round shouldered Volvo family identity. Uh, and then in between, you know, it evolved a bit. And now they've they've done a change where everything it started with that new XC90. And and now it that's it's sort of proliferated across the lineup, and and I think everything looks really good, and you know just I, I'm just impressed with the car. I think it you know it's a little bit longer than the old S60, even the uh, long wheelbase version. So it, it's it's roomy. It's I think it's about three series size, maybe a little smaller. To me, that's a great size. I was like this again, like the XC40. This is a Volvo that could bring me back to Volvo as a past Volvo owner. So. <laughs> Um, I, I can't think of a better endorsement than that. You know, just uh, I, w- I, I can't swing fifty five thousand dollars for for what this one costs. But uh, that's not outrageous. Mm, give it a couple of years, you know, get, get a used one. Yeah. Um, you know, hopefully their their resale value doesn't drop like a stone like it used to. Um, <laughs> <laughs> when, by the time I got done with my S60s, they were, just, they were like, yeah, uh, no, that car's not worth anything. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a good car. It's very competitive. And unfortunately cars are not selling, uh, which is too bad because it's a great sedan. I like the trunk size. I took it to the mountain skiing with my, uh, my 10 year old, um, which is not something I did with the challenger. (laughs) (laughs) Um, you know, it's, uh, it did this uh, heated steering wheel gets nice and hot. You know, it's, it's, well, it's, a, it's very I good. Do, I do like heated steering wheels this time of year. Yeah. And, and honestly, uh, just all the things that I liked about Volvo classically have been um, smartly updated. It, it doesn't even have the scoliosis thing that some of the head restraints do and other models. It, it's, <laughs> I, it's probably my favorite Volvo. And I'm, I, you know, I, I'm impressed with the build quality. I think their new plant is putting out good stuff. Well, that sounds sounds like a good start for uh, for the plant in South Carolina. Hopefully, um, you know, you know, hopefully their plans there don't get too upset by you know all the stuff that's going on with the uh, with the trade issues between uh, the U.S. and various other countries now, um, because you know part of the rationale for building that plant was um, you know to actually export a lot of the production from there uh, because I think the the S, that the South Carolina plant was one supposed to be one of the primary production sites for the s60 and without you know if they you know if it costs them more money to export those or you know or even for importing some of the parts you know it, it could uh, hit their bottom line and you know make that plant non-viable in the for the foreseeable future yeah so in that plant i haven't really looked at what is actually there is it just an assembly plant or is it um are they stamping and is it sort of like raw materials go in one side and cars go out the other uh yeah i believe they they have a body shop you know they're doing stamping and welding painting all that um you know i don't think they're producing engines so they're bringing in engines you know powertrains from 
uh, from overseas, from Sweden, uh, and perhaps from China as well, because uh, Volvo also has production in China. Um, but, I, you know, I think the, the body shop, paint shop, you know, all that stuff is being done locally. Yeah. So, so I guess what's really going to be the determiner is what the raw materials cost, right, for, for getting, you know, sheet steel, or sheet yeah. aluminum or whatever in there. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, there's a 25% tariff on the steel now, I think 10% on aluminum, uh, you know, so that, and you know, that the thing is that's causing grief for everybody in the industry right now. Yeah. Well, I hope they work it out. It's, it's a very good car. And, and hopefully too, um, if they need to shift for the workforce down there, because it's an SPA platform vehicle, uh, they can shift another SPA car in there that makes better profit, you know, more revenue so that the, the plant isn't in the red, you know, it continues. Yeah. To I, I would, I would guess, you know, that they will probably add production of the XC 60 there because that's, that's probably going to be their highest volume model in North America uh, going for for the next several years is the XC 60. Um, you know, and maybe we'll even get the V 60 here. Who knows? I would love that. God, that yeah. would have me looking for loans. <laughs> I, I I can't give a more full throated endorsement. I really, you know, it's it's certainly if I were to drive it back to back with a, a three series or an A four or something, there would be differences, um, notable differences between the three cars. But that's not terrible, you know. That that they're each sort of have an identity, um, and I just I, I like the way this one has come together. Well, that's good to hear. I, I like the progress that Volvo has been making over the last several years. One question about it, the, uh, the shifter, uh, does it have the same shifter as the XC40? Okay. No, it doesn't. But, uh, that's actually something that Russell and I talked about as well. And, um, my suspicion last week was, uh, that it, that double tap thing that yeah. was sort of, uh, brought to the XC40 from the, uh, it, I think it came initially from the so, XC90 hybrid. Yeah. Um, so this actually, I believe, has a mechanical shifter in the S60. So there's a button in front. You pull it. It's a normal shift quadrant. Um, the XC40 has an electronic shifter. So they, they lifted that. And the electronic shift logic in the Volvo does require the double tap. And he, he said, yeah, it, it you know takes a couple of days to get used to it, which I found. But then I also found myself double tapping the shifter in the, <laughs> in the Challenger. After I got out of the XC40 and you know, their, their logic behind it is, look, if that gets bumped, you know, there's, it's not a physical, uh, you know, there's, it's not a mechanical connection. So if it gets bumped, the safest thing for it to do is go to neutral and then you can correct your mistake and put it back in gear or select the other gear that you want. And yes, going from car to car, it becomes a little bit of a learning curve, but after a little bit of time, it it's a sort of a you know second nature, and I can't I can't really argue with that because that's what happened to me. Although over the first couple of days, it does get slightly annoying. Yeah, and you know as you said, you know we're we're in kind of a unique position because we keep jumping from one car to another, you know, all with different interfaces, and you know we never really get a chance to get accustomed to any of them. Yeah, I will. You know, Casey's going to listen to this. Maybe he doesn't listen. I don't know. <laughs> he's going to hear me not crap all over census. And he's going to be like, what is with the endless grief that I gave him? So I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. <coughs> Let's move on. All right. 
All right. So uh, it, the um, it's been a, it's been about a week uh, since the the um, Detroit Auto Show press previews, of which there wasn't actually a whole lot to preview this year, um, because like a lot of auto shows, um, you know, there were a bunch of automakers that decided that they didn't really need to be here. Um, they're you know increasingly manufacturers are deciding that you know they're better off doing their own standalone uh, vehicle reveal events away from shows. Um, and even here in Detroit, you know, we had a couple that were kind of like that, um, you know, because then they can get all of the press attention to themselves and they're not scrambling, you know, for 20 minutes of attention during the course of a of a busy media day at an auto show. Um, so, you know, we didn't have any of the European premium brands here this year, unfortunately. So no Volvo, no Mercedes Benz, no BMW, no Audi, um, no Jaguar Land Rover, uh, no Porsche. Um, you know, the, the only premium brand here was actually, uh, Volkswagen. So and do you think that that's a mistake for them? Or do you think that, uh, for those European brands, we go to Frankfurt or Geneva or where, wherever the European shows happen, like they get coverage. So, well, even, even at those shows, I mean, in, you know, in 2018, you know, at the Paris and Geneva shows, uh, last year, there were a bunch of uh, European OEMs that didn't attend those shows either. You know, like Volvo, uh, Volvo did not go to Paris, I think, um, it, and they didn't do Geneva either. You know, Volkswagen, uh, I think, um, I think skipped the Paris show this year or last year. Um, you know, it, there's there's a bunch of automakers that are you know. So th this is this is this is actually a problem that's kind of endemic to trade shows in general. Um, even even at CES, there were fewer companies involved this year than there have been in the past, or less of a presence than there have been in the past. Um, you know, and you know, in other other industries, you know, trade shows have been struggling. Uh, because of the high cost of, you know, paying for a booth and constructing the booth, especially at auto shows, um, you know, the you know manufacturers have been looking for how they can cut down on their their construction costs for the booths. You know, hopefully next year um, when the Detroit Auto Show moves from January to June, um, that will be alleviated somewhat because they won't be paying huge overtime fees to the crews putting together the booths during the, the Christmas holidays. Um and so hopefully some of the manufacturers will come back. Uh, will you know, that remains to be seen. None of them have officially committed. They all said that they're, you know, th those that skipped the show this year, are, you know, are watching and, you know, they'll, they'll make a decision, you know, one way or the other soon, but, but nothing yet. Yeah. I, I was listening to Autoline and they were saying it felt, um, they had Joanne Muller and, uh, I think Todd Lassa and Frank Marcus on maybe, um, it, it, they said that it felt a little sad this year, kind of yeah, dark and maybe not dark like 2008, but just like empty. Yeah, it was more empty. You know, it was some of us, you know, we were talking about it, you know, in some, it, it felt in some ways it felt quiet like the 2009 show did, you know, right after the financial meltdown. Uh, but at least, you know, that year in 2009, you know, to cut costs down, uh, they compressed everything into one day, you know, so everybody showed up, you know, it's just the, you know, the media previews, you know, the first the press conferences started at 630 in the morning with Porsche and then ran until about 630 that night. But everybody was here, you know, the, the, 
the feeling was kind of somber that year because of what was going on around us, but it, it was at least everyone showed up this year, you know, half the industry just didn't show up. And so, you know, we started at I think the first press conference started at eight 30 and by two 30 in the afternoon, we were all done. Um, you know, so it was, it was quiet, but in a very different kind of way than the 2009 show. Yeah. And hopefully that doesn't, you know, I mean, in some way, in a lot of respects, you know, it's similar to what we've seen for quite a few years now in Chicago. I mean, the Chicago show is very much like that. There's ver- relatively little news that comes out of the Chicago show, you know, and the, the big thing for, you know, for these auto shows, you know, especially in North America is they're put on by local dealer organizations, you know, so the Detroit auto dealers association here, um, you know, whatever the Chicago, um, auto dealers, you know, put on their show, same thing in LA and, and elsewhere. And, you know, they're, they're primarily not intended to be media events. I mean, they are media events, but they're, they're they've always you know, they've always existed primarily as a means for local auto dealers to get customer to give customers a place to come in and, and cross shop and look at everything that's in the marketplace, you know, and to generate leads. And then, you know, after the show, the salespeople will you know reach out and contact, you know, the people that were interested in the cars and, you know, hopefully make some sales. Uh, you know, and part of the problem, you know, in Detroit is, you know, for, especially for the European premium brands is Detroit is just not a huge, you know, the Detroit region is not a huge sales market for brands like Audi and and Mercedes Benz and BMW. I mean, they sell cars here, but you know, not enormous numbers of them compared to, you know, say New York or Los Angeles or Miami. And so, you know, they, the manufacturers just felt that it wasn't worth their investment this year to, uh, you know, to set up a huge booth and, and do all that work, you know, so after the press previews are done, uh, you know, and some of the, the floor space, you know, some of the local dealers do bring in, you know, their own cars from their inventory, um, you know, and put those on display, but you don't have the big fancy stands that we've traditionally had at this auto show. Yeah. I mean, you kind of can't argue with that. That was, uh, something I was going to say as well as, you know, who are the shows for? And while, they have been used, you know, for media days to have some kind of press release bonanza and make some news that has increasingly shifted where there's like endless leaks and uh, stuff just being um, put out online. Or like you said, where they, they will hold a, an event on their own. Yeah. They'll, they'll really do standalone events. I mean, you know, for several years now, BMW has actually been you know doing a lot of their reveals, you know, a month or two, ahead of a major auto show and Mercedes has started doing it and other companies, you know, they'll do it at standalone events where they'll, you know, they'll show, you know, they'll, they'll reveal all the information about the new product and then, you know, they'll bring it to the auto show and it'd be the first time the public gets to see it in person. Um, but you know, the, the, all of the, you know, most of the information will already be out there by the time they get to an auto show. Yeah. So it's of limited use for making any kind of press coverage happen. And, you know, so the, the shows are the, the the shows are for the customers in that region, and and it, you, we've gotten these shows like Detroit, like Chicago, like L.A., New York. You know, they they've kind of grown to these outsized events, and now I think we're just seeing that that's not where the automakers feel like their money is best spent, and so they're they're shrinking again, and they're shrinking globally too, like you talked about. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, we'll see more of those. Uh, those standalone events or just stuff that just like, yeah, here it is. We're just going to yeah. release well, it I mean, on the even, internet. Even here in Detroit, you know, <laughs> the, um, on the Wednesday before 
the uh, the auto show uh, press previews. You know, Ford did an event uh, at Ford Field uh, to show off the Explorer. You know, <laughs> and you know, I mean that one was pri- you know they they invited media to it, but that one was you know as much an event for uh, for their employees as anybody else. You know, I mean most of the people in attendance there were Ford employees. Um, you know, and they had, you know, the media that wasn't at CES, you know, did attend that. But, you know, we had actually already seen it in a backgrounder, you know, the week before. So we already had all the information. So a lot of media didn't even bother going to that one. But, you know, then on, on the Sunday night before the show, Cadillac did their event where they showed off the, the new XT6, you know, at, um, you know, at, at one of the local theaters in Detroit. And, uh, you know, that's that's the kind of thing we've increasingly been seeing in recent years is, you know, do something before the show. So you get, you know, 100 percent of the news cycle to yourself before the show even opens. Yeah. Well, you know what? Let's talk about some of the stuff that was actually at the show. You mentioned the XT6 that showed up. Um, I the, Indeed, it did. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, reaction, I surmise, was uh, actually less than. Positive. I mean, people kind of shrugged about it. Yeah, you know, uh, Cadillac is kind of late to this segment. They're, they're the last of the major premium brands to introduce a three-row crossover. Um, you know, I mean, you've got you know vehicles like the the Audi Q7 and uh, Mercedes um, GLS, and um, you know BMW's got you know three-row versions of the X5, and and they've you know they, now they've got the new X7, the Volvo XC90. You know, they're they're all they've all been out there for a while now, and you know. Um, Lincoln and um, and um, Cadillac were kind of the last two. Lincoln showed the Aviator at the LA Auto Show, and the XT6 uh, debuted here in Detroit. And pretty much everybody was kind of underwhelmed by it. You know, I mean the the design is fine. You know, it's inoffensive, but you know, not particularly exciting either, especially compared to the Aviator. Yeah. Um, you know, it's based on the Lambda platform, which is also used for the uh, Buick Enclave and the um, Chevy Traverse and the GMC Acadia. Um, you know, the interior, you know, did not seem to be, you know, particularly premium. I mean, it, you know, it, it did not seem to be up to snuff. Um, the only powertrain available right now is uh, the 3.6 liter V6 with a nine speed automatic and either front or all wheel drive. Uh, you know, it does have, um, GM's uh, twin clutch uh, all-wheel drive system, you know, that can uh, vector the torque to the front or rear, you know, and that that system works well. But you know, they talked about you know this being an important vehicle for for Cadillac both here in North America, but also in China. And you know, in China, increasingly, you know, you've got to have some electrification options. You know, you've got to have a plug-in hybrid or a battery electric version, you know, to really be competitive in there, especially in these kind of segments. And GM has nothing for this one. Have they developed the Lambda at all for that? I mean, regardless of what we've seen here, like, is there anything they could even just... They take all indications from Steve Carlisle and and other people from Cadillac. Steve Carlisle's the the president of Cadillac um, and, you know, others I talked to that there's no plans, you know, for this generation of the XT6 to have any electrification options in there, at least least not before a mid-cycle refresh, you know, which is several years out. Um, The other thing that it's missing is super cruise yeah you know uh, you yeah. know th- this this vehicle is kind of you know late to the segment and you know 
Cadillac's got, you know, what is arguably the best partially automated driving system on the on the market with Super Cruise and they didn't put it in this thing. Well, yeah. the, the whole thing just see, it seems like there's three glaring errors to me with the XT6. You know, you just identified Super Cruise is probably the biggest just because they're trying to compete for that premium segment and those kind of features are really what's what's driving a lot of interest now and just super cruise is very good uh the other is the powertrain like you said you know uh, it's just that 3.6 is like f- fine it's a good engine but y- you can get it in an equinox um or a traverse right um and then you you have the interior, which in pictures, it presents pretty well. And I'm sure the top third of the interior is pretty nice to look at and to touch. But then all of the other stuff, I just see this lots of seams, lots of different black plastics, um, probably all feel kind of cheap and crappy in that GM way. You know, it's the same thing that that gets the trucks too, uh, where you're just like, this thing costs 70 grand and it's got, you know, plastic you'd see in a freaking sonic in it um so those seem like three things that just right right away you know in a brand new model it's it's starting from behind the eight ball they didn't really do enough they kind of it's almost like they half-assed it uh and i'm sure there's reasons for it but those are reasons to either delay it or do it in a different way or like don't don't forge ahead with the vehicle just so you can tick the the boxes off your your sort of checklist and say yep we we came to market <laughs> like that's that's yeah. not a good plan <laughs> yeah yeah and you know like i said you know since this you know this is not exactly you know first into the segment by any stretch of the imagination you know if you're going to be late at least make sure that you you know do everything you can to make it the, make it the best and i think you know, GM says, you know, that the electrical architecture and the, the Lambda platform, you know, can't support uh, Super Cruise. And, you know, that's, you know, that's perfectly legitimate. But, you know, if you're if you're going to take the time to bring this to market, you know, two and a half years after the Acadia debuted, you know, or three years, I think now, actually, after the Acadia debuted with the same platform, you know, why didn't you take that time to make those updates, you know, and put that system in there, make it available? You know, we're not going to start seeing additional models with Super Cruise until sometime in 2020. Um, it, just like I, that boggles my mind. Like, don't don't bring it to market if you if you can't put Super Cruise in it. Yeah, no, I, I agree, especially if you want to compete with the. Um, in the Chinese market, you know, you're going to have to have some hybrid or plug-in hybrid options. And uh, the, uh, the, you know, the the Lincoln Aviator, you know, is going to have, um, you know, 30-mile plug-in hybrid range, uh, you know, 450 horsepower, 600 foot-pounds of torque. You know, it's going to be a, a real performance plug-in hybrid. And, you know, this one has nothing. I mean, you've got, you know, a 300 horsepower naturally aspirated V6 as your only option. Apparently, they will be adding a V8 version to this at some point. But classic <laughs> GM. Don't. Yeah. Don't come to market with a piece of crap and then say we're going to make it better later. No. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think, you know, piece of crap might, you know, is, is kind of overstating it, but just kind of half-assing it. Yeah, you know, I mean, compared to the Aviator. The Aviator is on yeah. a brand new platform. It yeah. has a pretty exclusive version of at least a high performance engine, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it looks fantastic. It's, it's larger, a, a little bit bigger, you know, mm, um, only marginally. So not, okay. not by much. 
Um, it's pretty it, close to the same size. It has that rear wheel drive um, proportion and um, dynamics. So I, I think it's going to drive very well. Uh, and it's, you know, it's interior is, you know, Lincoln interiors now, at least when you buy the, the higher trim, like they, they look like they're worth the money. Like the, the aviator was a very important vehicle for Ford and they, they put the effort in and it shows the XT6 is arguably a very important vehicle for for Cadillac, and I'm sure they put some effort into it. I, I don't want to criticize the people who worked on it. It just seems like it it got off track. Like they did the best I, they could. I have I have a feeling that you know over the last several years, you know, with the whole move to New York and then move back to Detroit, you know, a lot of a lot of things got off track with Cadillac um, because you know the other part of all this is on the Friday before the show. You know, or the, I guess Thursday before the show, you know, they announced um, that, uh, you know, GM had an analyst uh, briefing, a financial analyst briefing. And they said that, you know, Cadillac is going to be their lead brand going forward for electric vehicles, you know, and their first model, you know, coming to market, you know, is a, an all new electric crossover, uh, battery electric crossover will be coming after their current three year product cycle is done you know they Guys. starting with the xt4 last fall and now the oh. xt6 they're launching a new vehicle every six months for three years and after that's done which means that you know 2021 and they showed a preview of, of what this thing's going to look like as you know drawings of what this thing's going to look like it's, it looks good but you know we're not going to see it till 2021 yeah, at least look, the xt6 looks good too but it's yeah. but also it's a three-row version it's not that much bigger than the xt5 you know, like it's it's longer, but what's the rear seat access like in this? Like, why why is it? I, I don't. I I have so many questions, and so like, why does it not have that that um? What the hell is it? There's a there's a, a turbo V8, right? That's in the XTS. Um, no, uh, it's in the the CT6. Oh, CT6. Why why do I think you could get the XTS V Sport? Maybe I'm thinking of the CT6 V Sport. Yeah, uh, which doesn't exist in a, in a um, front wheel drive uh, transverse configuration. So yeah, you you wouldn't you wouldn't be able to put that twin turbo <laughs> V eight into uh, into the XT six. I bet it's, you could put the CT six V sport engine in there though, right? Maybe I don't know. No, I mean no. The, it's 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 that's too much power. It's going to be too big uh, to put into the Lambda platform. That's just that's not going to fit in there. That's just a shame. Yeah. <laughs> So you could you could do the twin turbo V6. That's that's what I'm know, saying. Which, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. But From, not not the not the V8 that's going to the CT6 V. Right. I'm 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 sorry. I the so I wish it had that because that's certainly Cadillac distinctive. But uh, you've got the the XTS V Sport that has the the turbo 3.6. Yeah. Um, the Lambda is not the same as uh, Epsilon, which I think that's that's based on. Uh, but I'm, you know, they're both front wheel drive. You can make it work. That's the be ambitious. This doesn't seem like an ambitious product to me. When no, it it doesn't. It, you know, they they did not. It doesn't seem like they tried to stretch at all. You know, to make this something really special. You know, it's kind of yeah. Okay, let's you know, let's get a three row crossover out there. You know, and they did kind of the bare minimum to do that. Yeah. Uh, and, too you know, that's that's unfortunate, you know, for for Cadillac, because, you know, Cadillac has so much potential and they've done they've done some great stuff over the last decade. Uh, you know, and this this is not one of them. No, and, I, you know, I mean, I'm sure the liveries are going to love it. 
because uh, it's cheaper to going to be cheaper to run, I think, than um, the, the Escalade. Uh, but it's not going to be cheap. And there's a lot of competition for your dollar at this at this level. And so I, I don't know. I feel like it's a miss. And, and that's that's too bad, especially since there is a lot of anticipation for it. Yeah. Uh, speaking of the aviator, you know, the it's platform mate. Uh, you know, I mentioned, you know, that Ford uh, revealed the um, the Explorer, you know, the weekend or the, the week before the auto show. Um, they didn't reveal a whole lot of details at that time. Um, but at, uh, at the auto show, we did see um, more information on the hybrid and the ST which are joining uh, the lineup this year. Uh, the ST, you know, as with the Edge ST, you know, it's performance version of it. It's got the uh, the same uh, three liter twin turbo V6 uh, that's in the um, that's in the Aviator as the as the standard engine in the Aviator. So 400 horsepower in there, uh, which will be nice. Uh, and then the the hybrid, um, unlike the Aviator, which gets a plug in hybrid, the Explorer is getting just a hybrid variant or standard hybrid variant uh, for now, at least at some point it may get a, a plug in or, or maybe even a battery electric version. But for now, it's just a standard hybrid uh, and they're using a naturally aspirated 3.3 liter V6 paired up with the, the hybrid. And I think it's about 318 horsepower um, and 350 or 360 foot pounds of torque. Um you know, so it, it should do, it should do pretty well. You know, they, um, production, uh, you know, production vehicles will start in May. Uh, it goes on sale this summer. They haven't released, uh, you know, anything about the fuel economy yet or, or the performance of this thing. Uh, but it will have, um, they said the police, uh, the police interceptor hybrid uh, version of this will have at least 24 miles per gallon combined. And I'm guessing that, you know, in the civilian version, it's probably going to be somewhere around 26, uh, which, you know, for an Explorer it is pretty good. Yeah, especially for this version of it and with that kind of power, you know, like. Yeah. You know, from a from a design perspective, you know, the. It's not it's not a radical change. You know, it's it's clearly, you know, an incremental design change. But I mean, mechanically, it's all new. It's on a completely new platform. So it gets ditches the old Volvo P2 platform. Um, you know, it's still you're still going to immediately recognize it as an Explorer. But, you know, it's it's been updated, you know, instead of the uh, the horizontal lines, you know, being parallel to the ground, you know, it's got a little bit more of an upward sweep towards the back. Yeah. Um, you know, it looks a little bit sleeker uh, than before, a little bit faster, you know, and the proportions are better now because it's got the longitudinal powertrain, you know, and rear drive uh, chassis. So, um, you know, I think, I think it's a good looking vehicle. And again, you know, even, even Ford though, you know, they were, uh, you know, they, they put, they're putting their co-pilot 360 system as standard on the Explorer, which means you get things like um, blind spot information and uh, lane keeping and forward collision alert and uh, automatic emergency braking is standard. Uh, but that's that's a camera based system. Um, if you want um, adaptive cruise control and the lane centering, you've got to pay extra for that, you know, to get to add the radar sensor and, you know, uh, get that upgrade. And, you know, Increasingly in that same segment, you know, with vehicles like the new Hyundai Sonata or uh, Hyundai Santa Fe uh, that I've actually got in the driveway right now, uh, you know, things like that are becoming standard equipment, you know, and, you know, I think 
Ford is going to have to, you know, kind of rethink some of their packaging there as well. You know, just like Cadillac is uh, with making some more of that stuff, standard equipment. Yeah. I was going to say that it's a little bit more acceptable to me that you have to buy it extra on a Ford uh, versus a Cadillac that, you know, the Cadillacs can be $70,000. It should have it. Um, but if the Ford's competitors like the Santa Fe, they're figuring out how to package it so that it's standard equipment. That's that's something that like that's a sales point, you know, and so that's something that they're going to have to figure out. And I think part of the difference is like, you know, OK, fine, you can get radar cruise. We have a 400 horsepower V6. <laughs> yeah, you know, like that's true. That's that's something the Santa Fe does not offer. Um, you know, you don't you don't have a, a twin turbo V6 available in there. And it depends on on what's important to you. You know, I, yeah. I, I think that the the Explorer is. It's just really well done. You know, I'm, I'm very impressed with it. And I know that this is the sort of unibody rear wheel drive platform. That's This is going to be our next Mustang, right? Like this Ford has put a lot of chips in, into the, you know, push, to, push them onto the table with this platform. It's the aviators, the Explorer. It's going to be uh, sort of. And we'll, we'll see. We'll see more stuff off this platform as well yeah. going forward. And that's the only way to do it uh, going forward for for automakers these days is to just maximize the amount of models and the sort of differentiation you can out of each platform is they're so expensive to design and build. And, uh, you know, Ford is to the point too, where they're like, yeah, you know what? We're going to partner with Volkswagen. too. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Ford, Ford's going to have a, a busy year this year. You know, they've got a bunch of new products coming this year. You know, in addition to the Explorer, we're going to see a new escape before the end of the year. Uh, we're probably going to see, the Bronco at least uh, revealed before the end of this year. Um, it won't go on sale till next year, but it, it will probably see it revealed this year. Um, you know, the, the Explorer and the aviator um, and there's one or two other uh, new utilities that we'll probably see sometime this year. Uh, so, you know, there's, there's going to be a lot of stuff coming. We may even see, uh, actually, we probably won't see the new F one fifty till um, till beginning of next year. Although, well, since the auto show is not going to be till June next year, um, we may may see it sooner than that. So who, who knows? But, you know, that's that's going to be you know, a significant update to the F-150 as well. So there's a lot of stuff coming from Ford uh, and also their new battery electric crossover um, is going to be shown sometime this year as well. Right. Right. And what what's crazy to me is that the F-150 is now old. <laughs> like yeah. it's just redone. But everybody else has redone their trucks in the in the interim. Um, I, I have. Did you have a chance to get inside the Explorer at all during the the show? Because mm-hmm. yeah, one of the things to me that I was really disappointed by was the old Explorer was it was just so claustrophobic and it felt like you were sitting in a bucket, especially on the uh, the passenger side. It seems like with this platform that's designed to be this big, because the impression I got was like they stretched out that P two platform as much as they possibly could. And there were a lot of compromises made to get it that mm-hmm. large. Uh, I'm assuming this feels more spacious, more space efficient. Um, it, it's definitely more space efficient. Um, the pillars are thinner. You know, they've taken advantage of, you know, new materials, new manufacturing processes, uh, you know, with more high strength steel in there, uh, more aluminum. So things like the, the pillars are significantly slimmer now. So you have much better visibility out of it. It's actually almost exactly the same size. It's within an inch 
uh, overall length and it's the same width and same height. So it's all, it's virtually the same size as the existing Explorer. It's so interesting because it, it looks But it bigger. feels roomier inside. Yeah, and it looks big. They've pushed the front axle forward because um, yeah. they can do that. And yeah, the wheelbase is several inches longer, yeah. but the overall length is the same. That's, that's impressive. The, the, the proportions, it's just like small tweaks. It's like a, a design school study. <laughs> like, yeah, well, you know, that's, that's the funny thing. You know, I'll get into it more next week, the next time when we talk about the, the Honda Passport. Um, but, you know, the Passport is based on the same platform as the Pilot. And, um, you know, it's got the same wheelbase as the Pilot. But um, it's the body is six inches shorter overall. And it's amazing what a difference yeah. that six inches makes in its visual proportions. Yeah, and the way I'm it sure looks. in person, it's even more impressive. In pictures, it's definitely the passport. It looks tidier. Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, what else did we have? Um, oh, the Supra. Um, we finally saw the Supra without camo. <laughs> We'd seen that thing without <laughs> camo for months. <laughs> well, you know, Akio Toyota, you know, on stage during the the presentation, you know, talked about, you know, he joked about this being, you know, one of the the longest running introductions of a new car ever. Um, you know, and you know, they, they, they did some preview drives with some of the media last summer, you know, they've shown this thing, uh, as a race car that, you know, as a, as a GT race car, they've shown it as, uh, as a NASCAR, uh, stock car. Um, although that, that thing really has nothing to do with what is a Supra. Um, but you know, I, I think, you know, in person, you know, there, there's some, there's some elements of the, the Supra that, you know, I think maybe a tad overdone, you know, I mean, you've got the fake vents on the fender, um, you know, arguably the, the front end, you know, is maybe a little bit overstyled as, as is the case with many uh, current generation yeah. Toyotas, but overall, you know, I really like the size and the proportions of this thing. You know, it's based, it's built on the same platform as the BMW Z4, uh, uses BMW's twin turbo, uh, six, three liter inline six. Um, you know, it's rear wheel drive, uh, automatic transmission only, unfortunately. Um, you know, you look inside, you clearly see a lot of the, you know, the BMW parts in there, including iDrive. Uh, oh, but that's not terrible. iDrive in a Toyota would be fine. I said the same thing to some of the folks from Toyota. You know, I said, you know, now now that you've got iDrive in the Supra, you really need to put it into the rest of your lineup, too. <laughs> what's, that, what's your opinion of the Supra being so sort of obviously... A BMW. There's been lots of chatter about it, and I, I feel like it's been dismissed. And and to me, like, hey, it's not a bad thing that it's a Z4. Yeah, nothing, nothing wrong with that. I mean, you know, you've got a two, uh, you know, a rear front engine, rear wheel drive, two seater coupe, you know, a sports car. You know, it's exactly what it should be. And it's, you know, I, I I have no I have no issue with you know using parts from Toyota you know to to make it or to use use parts from BMW so that you know both of these brands can bring out you know new uh, vehicles like this you know to bring out you know because and if if both BMW and Toyota had to you know do everything from scratch on their own for these two vehicles these two vehicles probably would not exist in 2019. Yeah, they they probably could not justify the engineering expense to do them if they had to develop everything on their own for both of these vehicles, because, you know, for Toyota, you know, there's there's no inline. There's no more inline sixes in their lineup that they could use for this, you know, and, you know, that that's kind of the, you know, the, um, 
you know, the classic ideal for the Supra, you know, they always had an inline six cylinder engine and, you know, sure. You could do it with a V6. Well, uh, Toyota's V6 is very good. I'm actually thinking, oh, like, yeah. I'd love to see what this car would do with just right. And you know, it's it's not it's not like you know Toyota's V6 doesn't get used in sports cars. I mean, they've been powering you know the Lotus Evora for for many years now. Yeah. Um, so you know, they could certainly put a, a you know, and you know, in the you look at you know cars like the Lexus RC and and you know others, it's it's a great engine. But you know, for a Supra, they wanted to have an inline six, you know, because that's what Supras have always had. So you know, to to collaborate with BMW on this, I think was great. You know, they're you know aside from you know some of the obvious sharing like iDrive, you know they they do look distinct from each other. You know, you you know you're not going to mistake as as uh, Supra for a Z4 coupe. You yeah. know, well, it's it's something quite different. And that's the other point but, too, though, right? Like the especially the coupe, like that's not going to sell as many as the convertible, I would assume. So the Z4 probably not necessarily, I, I would assume that Z4 coupes sell a lot fewer than convertibles. Oh, well, the, well there is no Z4 uh, coupe this time. Last generation though. Like the last time there was, uh, a Z4 there coupe. wasn't, yeah, that, that was actually the first gen Z4. Z4. Yeah. The last, the last generation Z4 uh, had a retractable hard top. So they didn't do a coupe because oh, yeah, okay. you know, the, it had the retractable hard top uh, instead. You know, so this time there's just a soft top version, right? Um, no, no coupe version, and also both the Z4 and the um, the Supra are actually uh, assembled in Austria by Magnus Steyr, right? So they nice. they're both built on the same assembly line, you know, and they contracted it out to Magna. That seems like they both got together and and like executives were like, let's let's do a car. Okay. <laughs> yeah. We, we, you know, we, we both want to do, you know, new sports cars. Um, you know, what can we do, uh, you know, that, you know, that we can justify the, the expense, you know, so we can keep the engineering cost to a minimum, you know, but still do something unique. And it seems like the engineering. Co- so there's a lot of three series in the Z4. So that to me, it's just very interesting. It's just, this is basically like a, a, a corporate deal like let's take the pieces we've got change them up a little bit and release them as a as a n- new product you know it's almost like when you when you look at the lineup of like washers and dryers right like the same basic design starts off like at the cheap model and just gets fancier and fancier as you go up the line i don't know uh, it, to me yeah. it looks like a supra and i'm sure it drives fantastic so yeah i mean from from all we've heard from some of the the previews you know from people like tim stevens and others you know it was great on the track and you know great on the road so we'll we'll see uh in the next few months you know it's going to be going on sale pretty soon i think uh i think in march here in the u.s february late february early march it'll be available yeah i mean what are you going to complain about more two-door coupes Uh, which i guess is a little bit redundant (laughs) but not me right like yeah this does not seem like a bad thing that they, they put their heads together and uh, they decided to make these cars. And I'm, and I'm sure they're distinctive enough to, um, oh, yeah. that, that, you know, fine, fine. <laughs> All right. Uh, last one from the auto show is the uh, Shelby GT 500. Um, this will be the first time since the 1960s that there's been two Shelby Mustangs in production at the same time. Cause the GT 350 will carry on for at least another year or two. Um, and uh, the GT 500 is the most powerful street legal Mustang ever built um, at least by, you know, from the factory by Ford. Uh, you know, they, they started with the, uh, 
the 5.2 liter block from the GT350, beefed that up significantly, added a big honking supercharger uh, that will give it somewhere well in excess of 700 horsepower. We don't know exactly how much yet. Uh, and then beefed up everything else to to compensate. Um, you know, it's got a, a big um, SMC hood with a, a massive air vent in the hood to, to get all the air, uh, to vent all the hot air out. Um, huge air openings in the front. You know, the, the GT 500 is one of those rare instances where there's a, a massive grill that is actually fully functional. Um, you know, there's, there's almost nothing of it blocked off, um, you know, in order to get enough cooling air through the engine compartment to, to manage all the thermal energy that's generated. Yeah, well, I don't there. think subtlety is really this car's thing anyway. So no, <laughs> like- no, not, not at all. Uh, but I think, you know, what, what's really different this time, you know, I remember, um, last time, you know, back when I was still, uh, working with, uh, Ford comms team and we were talking about the, uh, the GT 350, you know, uh, someone who shall remain unnamed, uh, but he knows who he is, um, you know, referred to, you know, the, the GT 500 customer, you know, as the, the classic, you know, uh, quarter mile knuckle draggers, uh, <laughs> which, you know, I think is somewhat unfair. Um, also not the, but, if you're from Ford, that's not a thing you say. Yeah. That's why he shall remain unnamed. <laughs> um, you know, but, but I mean, you know, the, the last GT 500, you know, was, you know, not especially sophisticated, you know, what it, what it wasn't a competitor, you know, for high end European sports cars, uh, which is what the GT 350 was trying to be more of, uh, you know, so the, the GT 500, you know, really was great, you know, at doing quarter miles, um, you know, it was fairly heavy, which, you know, and especially in the nose, which meant that, you know, it wasn't, it didn't handle as well as, uh, some other cars, but, uh, this time around, they really wanted to make this an all around track beast. And so, you know, it's got big honking brakes. Um, it's got the, the Magna ride dampers all the way around. It's got, um, uh, they have the, an optional carbon fiber track pack, which, uh, gives you, uh, you know, you, well, all of them have a, a big, uh, front splitter, but the, the carbon fiber track pack gives you that large rear wing, which is adjustable and also some spats that you can install, uh, in the front, you know, behind or in front of the, uh, the front wheels with dive planes on them and they're adjustable. So, you know, you can go out, you know, when you go to a track day, you can put those on there and you can adjust them to, you know, change the amount of downforce. Uh, you can also adjust the angle of the rear wing so you can adjust the balance front to rear. Um, this thing's got five inch, uh, exhaust pipes, That's uh, like four or five inch pipe. exhaust pipes. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's, it's just, it's bonkers. Um, but, uh, you know, it should be, it should be really, really, really fast. Yeah, but, but you can't shift it yourself. That's true. Uh, well, you you can. You just don't have a third yeah, pedal to you know to what manipulate. I mean, those those it, are not those are not actually manual yeah. transmissions to me. It, yeah, it, it it's got yeah it's got a new seven speed dual clutch uh, gearbox, which is not the same one as what's in the Ford GT. This is this is an all new gearbox uh, that they designed with Tremec, uh, you know, to withstand the the torque of this engine, which is going to be impressive. Yeah, and like honestly. I, I don't think that it's a bad thing that it has that one transmission. Um, it, it just, 
that's that's a whole lot of power. Like I think it's not going to put up the numbers without that transmission either. If it had a conventional manual, it its acceleration times would be slower. And so those those yeah. are bragging rights. I think in this kind of realm. Um, yeah, it's it's supposed to do zero to sixty in about three and a half seconds and quarter miles in less than eleven so does seconds. Does it get to sixty in first gear? Uh, I'm not sure. They didn't say. I'd be interested to see. I, I would. I would guess it probably will. Because I think that's part of the reason why we've seen uh, zero to sixty times get so much lower over the last yeah, twenty years. Well, yeah, and you know, in this case, you know, uh, the top three gears are all overdrive gears. So first through fourth are you know are underdrive. So I wouldn't be surprised if it'll hit sixty in in first gear. So without a shift, right. Um, and you know, with all the torque, this thing's going to have, you know, that, that should be no problem. One of the most interesting things about this thing, about the GT 500 though, uh, I was talking with Carl Widman, who's the chief engineer on Mustang is he showed me the, um, the strut tower brace that they designed for this thing, you know, and, you know, because they wanted to keep the, the hood line low on it, they couldn't do the usual thing of, you know, running the strut tower brace right over the top of the engine, you know, and you, cause you've got that big supercharger on the top. Right. So what they did was they actually designed a, a cast magnesium strut tower brace <laughs> that wraps around Jeez. behind the, the top of the engine, you know, ties to the, ties the firewall, firewall yeah. and the, the strut, strut towers. And it's this pretty intricate casting and it's really, really lightweight. You know, you can, pick it up with just a couple of fingers i was shocked at how light this thing is oh yeah i bet it's beautiful too oh yeah it's gorgeous and you know unfortunately none of the photos that they have you know and uh actually show this thing i'm gonna have to uh, see if i can get a photo from them of of this uh strut tower brace because it's it's a really impressive little piece of engineering those, those kind of things are like that's that's the benefit of having a an actual automaker make what's essentially a supercar they could do that stuff. It's not a big deal. Uh, you know, I mean, it, there's some cost to it, but they have the engineering know-how and and manufacturing mm-hmm. uh, largesse to be able to be like, yeah, we can do that casting. Like, it'll cost X. We'll make, you know, make it out of this material. Like, that's not a problem for Ford. Yeah. And, you know, for, for a low-volume model like this, you know, I mean, they probably won't do more than, you know, a couple of thousand of these a year. Um, if that, if even that many, uh, it, you know, you can go out to, you know, any number of specialist shops, you know, that will cast those parts for you. You know, you, you do the engineering, you know, that, you know, they'll, they'll do all the, the design work and, you know, test it and, and, um, you know, do all the, uh, uh, the FME, uh, the, uh, uh, finite element analysis on this thing. And, you know, have it perfectly engineered and they'll go out to, you know, some specialist shop and have it cast and machined and, you know, bring them back to the plant and assemble it. And, you know, it, it's something that would be a lot harder for, you know, for, uh, you know, for a startup or, you know, for some really low volume manufacturer to do. Yeah. yeah and there's other things in this car, too. The carbon fiber wheel is the same thing. Which- yeah. Well, the, the GT350 was the first. Uh, production model with available carbon fiber wheels on the, uh, the GT350R, and those were 19s. Um, for this one, uh, because the front brakes are now um, <laughs> 16 and a half inch rotors, <laughs> just ridiculously massive rotors. Uh, but you know, there's a lot of a lot of thermal mass there. Um, you know, they they went back to their partner uh, in Australia that they developed. They I think it's uh, Carbon Technologies. I think. Uh, is the company that that built the wheels for the 350R and also for the GT, um, you know, to design a new 20-inch 
um, carbon fiber wheel for the carbon fiber track pack version. And, you know, it's even stronger than before and lighter weight than the 19 inch wheel. That's amazing. Yeah. Like that's the problem when you get wheels that big too, is that they're just heavy. Right. And that's one of the reasons for going to a carbon wheel on something like this, because, you know, 20 inch, you know, 19, 20, 21 inch wheels can get ridiculously heavy, which you know imp- has a negative impact on your handling and also on your ride quality. Yeah. So this will be a fun car to get in the media fleet. <laughs> uh, yeah. And I'm sure you guys will have one in January with ZR rated tires I, you know on what? it. I'll drive it. <laughs> <laughs> you'll go, you'll go buy a set of snow tires to put on it just so you can drive I, it. I right? would, you know, I really do. I like the challenge of high horsepower cars in winter conditions. The, um, there is a level of prudence that's required though. And that usually means you, you do need to be able to go stop and turn. Um, well, you know, the the thing is, you know, with a car like that, even, even with proper winter tires, you know, the, 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 as I found, as I found last year, when I, um, had the, uh, Alpha Julia, uh, quadrifolio right after a big snowstorm is the ground clearance. Yeah, I was gonna say, so even, even with, even with good winter tires on there, if you've got to plow through the snow with that thing, you're still not going anywhere. I mean, the air dam with all the little dive planes and stuff looks like it would make a dandy little plow. For the driveway apron, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I doubt that. <laughs> it's not a car for going on unplowed roads at all. No, yeah. definitely not. Um, so, I, yeah, for all my carping about the uh, the transmission, I'm sure it's going to be just a, a blast to drive. And I, the people who buy them are probably not going to miss shifting for themselves. And, and Pro- probably I mean, not think about launching a car with that much power and instant torque. And, right? and you know, if you want to, if you want to shift for yourself, you can still get the GT three fifty. Yeah. Which is uh, no slouch. That, that car is yeah. a good time. <laughs> All right. Uh, kind of, you know, flip, uh, flipping things around from the, the GT 500, uh, as we've been recording, we did get a question in on Twitter, uh, from, uh, Amir Durfel. Um, he asks, uh, what's, what is the lowest power car you'd buy as a fun drive having at least two seats? Oh, I mean, come on. Miata is always the answer. Or, <laughs> Isn't it? Or 86. Yeah, actually it, it, 86, you know, I mean, that's not, you know, that's not exactly a, a low power car. I mean, that's, you know, it's 200 horsepower in the, in the Toyota 86 yeah. uh, slash Subaru BRZ. Um, you know, but the, uh, the Miata is even less than that. You know, I think the base Miata is about a, now about 155 horsepower, um, you know, and mine, you know, from, you know, 1990 has 116 horsepower, and that's one of the most fun cars I've ever driven. Yeah, I mean, I think on a on a more practical level too, um, the Fiat 500 uh, doesn't have much power at all, but I still enjoy driving them. They're not necessarily fun in that sporty sense. Uh, they're just they're it's a fun car to just wring its neck. <laughs> yeah, well, actually, you know, you know what's actually my favorite variant of the 500 is the 500e. You know, depending on where you live, you know, if you can find uh, a, a used 500E, which is the electric version of it, huh. um, it, it is actually it's actually a lot more fun to drive than the Abarth. It's I torquey? Yeah, it's got so much low end torque um, that it is just a hoot to drive around. You know, I mean, it's only got about 80 miles of driving range. But, you know, in that 80 miles, you will have a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I can get behind that. Um I'm trying to think now. Those are three sort of solid choices. 
Yeah. And, you know, the 500E, you know, because it's a used EV, uh, you can get screaming deals on those things. I mean, you can get them dirt cheap, um, especially off lease. You know, you can I think you can get 500Es for like seven or eight grand. That's a really good deal. Yeah. <laughs> um, I also like the Mini, the three cylinder Mini. That, that one's all right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're they're a little pricey. Um, but you know, actually, you know, if you can find, uh, you know, uh, again, a used mini, um, you know, like a, you know, like a, a mid two thousands mini, um, or, or even the, the R 56, I think, uh, which was the second generation of the, the modern mini, yeah. um, you can probably get a pretty good deal on a used one of those as well. Yeah. The R 56 is, uh, so that like, if you get the regular one, that's a 1.8 liter four cylinder, which is fine. Um, for me, I really liked the S version of that car yeah um it also depends on what your i like what's your idea of fun we should just ask yourself that well and i think i think i think that's why i asked the question you know what's the lowest power thing you can have fun with and i think the key is you know if the car is small and light enough you don't need a whole lot of power well, that's true but you like know, what, what do you find you want like, what's fun too like yeah i mean you know for me you know it's something that i can toss around on you know through the curves on a country road yeah you know, and for that, you know, having a whole lot of power is really not that necessary. You know, it, it's more about that, the handling, you know, and the, the nimbleness and, you know, the, the responsiveness of it. You know, as long as it's got a reasonable amount of torque, you know, to accelerate out of curves, things like that. You know, I, you know, I love an engine with with way too much torque, but, you know, I can I can happily get by with something that has a lot less, you know, as long as it can squirt from one turn to the next. Yeah, because and here's where I'm thinking is. I and I've never tried one, but a Mitsubishi Mirage with a manual. I. I you mean the current generation Mirage? Yeah. Which is it's it, by all accounts, it's not a good car, right? It's a naturally aspirated three cylinder. <laughs> it's it's an ultimate economy car, right? It's just, just this mm -hmm. cheap little thing. Um, for me, I find I, it has a certain amount of charm. <laughs> Um, and I think, you know, I'm sure the manual in it is not a good linkage and all that. It's, that's not what it's for. But what I find charming about it is it, it'll, it just will accept the, the abuse, I guess. I don't, I don't know. You know, it's got limited grip. It's got limited power. So you can, you can find the edges of the envelope. You can, you can explore its limits, you know, at speeds right. that won't get you thrown in jail. Right. And it's super cheap and it's not, not necessarily a car you would use for, everything right it's not a great highway cruiser it'll do it which i i think is when you look at what that car will do it'll complain about it but it'll no, do I it i mean it, it keeps up with the american sort of car centric lifestyle highway centric lifestyle and it was totally not designed for this market or it's, it's not it's, it's not a sweet spot for sure if you know it I guess, you know, maybe what I would recommend is actually, uh, you know, find a used Honda Fit Sport, first or second generation Honda Fit. Yeah, that's a good car. Yeah. You know, I mean, they're, you know, I think the first generation was about 100 and, 106, 108 horsepower. Second gen was about 116. Um, you know, so that, you know, anything from about 2007 through about uh, 2015, 16, when the, the new one came out, um, you know, find it, you can get a, probably get a pretty good, a really good deal on one of those, um, you know, with the manual transmission. 
you definitely want the manual. You know, I mean, the automatic's okay, uh, but the the manual is is definitely the preferred option if you if you really want to have some fun. It's lightweight. Um, you know, it it handles fantastic uh, for for what it is, and. Um, you know, and it's also remarkably practical and roomy, uh, you know, for such as a car with such a small footprint, it's got a huge amount of room on the inside. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, it's a, that's a solid choice. You know, I was also thinking, um, I- well, I mean, my, my daughter, you know, still drives, she, you know, her, her fit is now, uh, let's see, um, what, 11 years old. Yeah. You know, and she's still, you know, she got it new when she turned 16. And, you know, she's still driving it. It's still a great car. That's not, I mean, that's, uh, that's a pretty good endorsement. They, they last yeah. new driver all the way to, <laughs> to now. Um, the, the, I can't, I don't think you can get it anymore either, but I was just thinking the, um, the Fiesta ST. Yeah. Really, really um, amusing. I mean, you know, I, I would, you know, uh, you know, given that the question was, you know, what's the lowest power car you can have fun with? I mean, the, the Fiesta ST, you know, uh, you can certainly get them used. You you could probably still find some new ones yeah. uh, sitting on dealer lots somewhere if you look around. Um, but you can certainly get used ones. Uh, you know, I mean, that's about 200 horsepower. Yeah, it's not, it's so not that's, super like low powered, but it's also the power is not the thing in that car. It's yeah. And that's I think that's what I like. That's what I find fun is a car that. You can you can rotate either you know with lift throttle oversteer or you know by putting the pedal down you can get some of that that rotation it'll it'll play along with you and you've you've got you know low adhesion or or just a certain amount of grip and and when you get all of those things working together in harmony that's where the entertainment is and it's actually very hard on a much higher performance car like try try that on the the GT uh, five hundred that we were just talking about you're gonna hit something like yeah. at high speed you're going to you're going to find the limit at the very wrong time <laughs> you know yes absolutely um, so yeah i mean you know if, as long as it's you know light enough you know anything between you know 105 you know 110 horsepower up to about 100 and 135 140 you can have a lot of fun with it you know if it's light enough and has some decent tires on it uh, and a manual transmission, you're good yeah, to go. Just, just buy like a GT car from the nineties, like an escort GT, which is not really a great <laughs> car, but <laughs> it fits all of those criteria. <laughs> um, oh, actually, you know, you know what, uh, if you can find, um, an, an, uh, the, an old, um, focus SVT. Oh yeah. From the early two thousands. Yeah. They're about 170 horsepower. Um, you know, the SVT crew, you know, uh, did their work on that one. It was generally considered to be one of the best hot hatches of its era. Um, they, they made them for about four or five years, I think in the early two thousands. And you could probably find those for pretty reasonably priced yeah, as well. And when they stopped making that, they actually made the, I think it was after the mid cycle refresh of the focus. There was the ZX4 ST with a very particular focus model, but it, it carried on some of that legacy. So, yeah. Yeah, I think we've given plenty of choices. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> and with that, I think we've done. And a if podcast. all else fails, just buy an old Miata. Yeah, yeah. It just like that's the default choice, and you're not going to be not going to be sad. But I don't. I don't necessarily yeah. need a lot of horsepower. I want something that handles. No, that's right. Oh. I totally agree. All right. Well, we've done a podcast. It's uh, number ninety four. I think we just finished. I think. Yes. So, well, we'll be back for number ninety five. All right. Talk to you again soon. 
need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.